If someone's diagnosed with diabetes, people don't see them differently when they're walking down the street. If anything, they'll often ask them, you know, what's going on with your nutritional pattern, with your exercises, are you doing that? They'll try to help and support that person in any way, shape or form. But I don't think the same thing can be said about people diagnosed with mental health challenges. I feel like the moment that you're diagnosed and people know that, the lights dim. It's almost like they change everything about the way they interact with you. Like you're this different human being, despite the fact that you, much like the other person that can suffer from diabetes or any other condition, they just want support. And I feel like at the end of the day, that is exactly what we want. We want support and we want to be understood. Welcome everybody to the second edition of Happy to Fail, the podcast where we work to break the discrimination. We're going to break the odds. We're going to defy the odds that people living with mental health challenges can't live happy, healthy, and above everything, productive lives. This show is a look at my personal life, my personal journey, living with mental health challenges, but not focusing on the problem, more so focusing on the solution. And you can expect to listen to a brand new episode each and every Monday. Some episodes are going to be on the more serious side as we talk about anxiety, depression, going all the way back to the very first episode. We laid the groundwork establishing why is this show called Happy to Fail? I also went over some details about some of my mental health challenges. So in case you haven't, my suggestion is hit the pause button on this episode, go back to the previous one, so that way you get a little bit more context about what is going on here. And speaking of, my name is Juan Velas Court. I am from Puerto Rico. I am a certified peer specialist. I've, I've been fortunate enough, I've had the privilege of traveling all around Puerto Rico in many states, many parts of the nation, to hopefully inspire others, but also be inspired by others that are also living with mental health challenges. Yet today, they're professionals. They are people with families, with houses, despite the fact that at some point, somebody saw them and said, you know what? I don't think you're gonna be doing all that great in life. This show is not meant to replace professional uh, emotional support or any kind of related service. It is strictly parts of my life that I am sharing with the world with the hope of motivating others to seek help and begin the road to recovery. So if you that is listening or watching right now are in need of help or you're at an emotional risk, please don't hesitate to contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Please don't be afraid to make that call. And if you're in Puerto Rico like myself, you can contact AMSCA's 24-7 crisis line, known as Lina Paz, at 1-800-981-0023. And they, just like the other lifeline, have passionate professionals that simply put, want to help you. I mentioned at the end of the previous episode that this one is going to be about the term patient. And I don't think that this term is necessarily bad. But I think if we contemplate and we think about our community, we can say one thing, but really be thinking about or implying the other, right? I can say, hey, what's going on? Or I can also say, hey, what's going on? The second one has an implication of, okay, maybe this person needs a little bit of help. Maybe something's going on. Whereas the first one is just, hey, what's up? Are you doing good? Are you doing okay? It's just little things like that. So before I give my personal opinions about this, Let's uh, just define 
what patient really means. So there are two general definitions that I found. So the first one is a person receiving or registered to receive medical treatment. So that's pretty much anybody that at some point we went to a, uh, the, the hospital, we went to the emergency room, just something happened physically or emotionally or both that we needed to go there. Henceforth, you know, we have our, our professional, we have our general doctor, maybe a pediatrician. Just at some point, all of us are technically patients, right? Especially when we have health insurance and things like that. Now, the second definition of a patient is as follows. Someone that is able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Now, I think it's interesting that these two definitions are separate, but when you really think about it, are they really separate? Because let's be real, when we go to the doctor, when we go to the emergency room, we're not sitting there often and just waiting 10 to 15 minutes. I remember one time I had a terrible back spasm as a result of some nerve damage and things like that. I, I sat there in the emergency room for about seven hours. I was anxious. I was crying. My wife was by my side. And every time we tell them, hey, um, it's been a couple hours now. Can, can we get the ball rolling? I really do have a lot of pain. And then fast forward to when I was actually attended by the doctor, my pain had gone down, but it was because my back was so worn down. Everything was just in so much pain that it went numb. And naturally, that's going to make you anxious. That's going to make you annoyed. You're going to have problems and you are most definitely uh, suffering. But I feel that when we talk about this in Happy to Fail, in the context of mental health challenges, if you're somebody suffering from something that is a mental illness or you're a family member, you probably know where I'm going because I remember going all the way back, as I mentioned in the first episode, to when I was diagnosed. It felt like the moment that a couple of family members found out about that, it's like, oh, so Juan is not going to be able to do all these things that, that we had in mind for him. It's almost as if they say, oh, you're only good enough to not be a failure. You're good enough to be irrelevant. It's almost like like they shoved me to the side. And this happened in school. This happened in family members. I remember a couple of years later after I was diagnosed, my mom and I would start to do a lot of television and radio appearances with the goal of just being able to, to spread awareness that recovery really is possible. And I was doing this when I was about 14, 15 years old, still going through it. But back then, as it is right now as well, it always just helped me to be open about my story. And I was always fascinated that, you know, sometimes uh, production staff members, they don't know why you're there. They, they just know your name. So then they'd be talking to me normally as if I was just a normal kid, right? Normal adolescent. But the moment that they found out that I was there because I was a patient, because I was a mental health patient to be exact, their tone changed dramatically like this, like the way that I'm talking right now. It's like really bad acting because they're like, oh, look at this little kid. You know, you have the mental health condition. And I'd just be sitting there going like, um, ma'am, you were talking to me fine just like 10 minutes ago. And now you're like overly enthusiastic. Oh, my goodness. It feels like you're going to give me a lollipop. That's just one isolated example of hundreds. When you went to school, the bullying, 
not only was I obese at one point and I started to gain more weight, the moment that they found out that I had uh, OCD, but they didn't know, they didn't get it, right? Like they just saw it from the craziness of, oh, he's got some habits that are a little bit on, on the odd side. They would just make fun of me. But then they just say like, oh, you know, when are you going to be hospitalized again? When are those things going to happen? Because it's not like I revealed to the world that I was hospitalized. But think about that. The moment that you're diagnosed, people automatically assume, at least that was it in, in my case, they automatically assumed that I had been hospitalized, that I had been uh, attempting against my life, which to be honest, I was. I did that on many occasions. But the fact that people assume that without sitting down and asking, hey, are you okay? Are those things, you know, are, are you being able to manage those emotions, those feelings? I remember at one point, I had a couple of family members that I hadn't seen for a while, especially after I was hospitalized in the United States. I was hospitalized in Wisconsin at Rogers Memorial Hospital for three months, and I owe my life to them because they gave me so many incredible resources that made me who I am uh, today. But when I came back to Puerto Rico, I was proud of who I became. I was proud of who I was because there was that point in time where I thought that I was going to be irrelevant. I wasn't even going to be a failure. I was going to be like just shoved to the side until I died. So I go to my family members all happy, all excited about the fact that, look, I learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm just a kid explaining all this, right? But I was proud of the things that I was going through. But the first response was, oh, you can't say you're a mental patient. You can't say you've been hospitalized because you're not gonna get you're not gonna get a job. You're not gonna get friends. You're not gonna get this and that. I'm like, whoa. But but the person that's suffering from diabetes, the person that has hypertension, the person dealing with cancer, they're all proud when they're overcoming those obstacles. And rightfully so. That I'm pretty sure Nobody looks at somebody overcoming cancer, right, as a, oh, well, you don't talk about that because that's going to affect your performance at work, right? You're like, congratulations, you're an incredibly resilient human being, keep at it. Yet when we talk about mental health, especially when we get to something like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, these disorders and, and things that people don't quite understand, they become afraid of you. They become afraid of you because of the stigma that surrounds them, because they feel like, oh, you're okay today. But remember, you're the mental health patient. So eventually, you're not going to necessarily uh, be, be like that. And it's important that when we talk about stigma, I feel like uh, the, the term patient and stigma goes hand in hand because stigma is that discrimination that I always mention at the beginning of the episodes. It's uh, being prejudiced against people. It's signaling people out. But there are three different stages of stigma that whenever I give workshops in the community, I always talk about those because when we generalize, when we're, uh, when we're really ambiguous about things, I feel like we don't actually get anywhere. So the first stigma that I want to talk about is public stigma. We can talk about all of the horrible mass shootings that have occurred or all the terrible traumatizing events that have happened in, in homes and things like that. But when you take it to the media, ask yourself right now, what is the first question that everybody asks about the shooter, everybody asks about just the person that went through something is, is that a mental patient? Notice the, the, the connotation 
of how often this happens. If you want to go through a really toxic experience, and if you're somebody that gets triggered easily, and this is not a joke, uh, don't do that. But if you feel like you're emotionally prepared, go to any Facebook post about a news story. It happens a lot in Puerto Rico here because as somebody that I was interviewed and I would show up in news articles, I would look at the comments and I would go like, you know what, maybe maybe I should not read these right now because they are so toxic, people just automatically assuming the things that I mentioned before that, oh, that's a patient, so he's good today, not good tomorrow. If somebody did something or attempted against their life, is that, oh, their dosage is not high enough. So not only do we brand the person the mental patient, not even mental health patient, they even take the word health out. In, in Spanish, I've heard paciente mental, which translates uh, to uh, mental patient. All of a sudden, everybody in social media, everybody around the world becomes an expert about your life. Now, put yourself in my shoes or the shoes that maybe you yourself have gone through or a family member dealing with mental illness, you're like, wait a minute, you know nothing about me, yet here you are deciding my fate. You're assuming, you know, what I look like, how I behave, how I dress. The second one is institutional stigma. So that's the difference between Juan, who suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder, versus the mental health patient that happens to have a name, which happens to be Juan. Uh, the diabetic versus the person suffering from diabetes. And I know that for other things, we, we tend to generalize. And, you know, depending the context, some of it is more acceptable than others. But people first. I have a first name, middle name. I have my father's last name. And I do think, according to rumors, I have my mother's last name as well. And that's pretty cool. It's nice when, the, when people refer to you by your own name, right? But I've been at places where I'm giving a workshop and they talk about, oh, yeah, that patient, you know, that patient wants to do something. But the way that it is expressed, there is that discrimination, that, uh, that uh, apathy almost towards that person. You don't see them as a human being. You see them as a number. And that's part of what happens with institutional stigma. And the last one, and maybe the most sad of all, is self-stigma. So that's when not other people stigmatize you. That's when you stigmatize yourself. You know how sometimes people say you, you tell a lie so much that you believe it? Well, I feel like in this case, and I can definitely apply this to myself, so many people told me that I was going to amount to nothing that I told myself, oh, okay, so I'm going to be failure. Like, I guess that's me now. That's going to be part of my life. So I believed it. And I feel like if somebody goes down to that level, I'm not saying it's impossible because I was able to, and if you're going through that as well, you can definitely do it as well. It's a pain in the butt to come out of that because you believe the lie that you're miserable, that you're useless, that you're never going to be a productive member of society. So my advice to you is think about the three stages of stigma and what is the stigma that surrounds your community? Because I feel like it's sad that we've lost the true meanings of words and we use them sometimes for harm, even though they were initially meant for good, like patient. I don't think anybody, when they first came up with that, you know, they, they thought that it was going to be discriminatory towards people with lived experience with mental health challenges. Another thing we can do is be very careful with the words that we choose. So in my case, I never refer to myself or others as patients. 
I refer to us as peers. I refer to us as participants because we are participating in our process. Going back to uh, the person that suffers from diabetes, the doctor can prescribe something, but it is the person that's taking the action, right? It's the person that is exercising, that is being conscious about the things that they are or are not consuming, referring to us as peers, as participants, as people living with recovery, people in recovery, living through challenges. But I love to say that, and and you probably have heard mental health challenge a lot more than mental illness, because I see challenges as things that you have to overcome. And I love that because I feel like whenever I wake up, that is my motivation, right? I'm challenging myself to overcome the challenges that I live with every single day. And that's been it for this episode of the terminology and the stigma surrounding the word patient. If you notice, sometimes I'll bring up a specific word or a topic, but it evolves because we're part of a society, we're part of a community, and everything becomes intertwined. So please let me know what you think about this. Let me know if you're a person living through some of these obstacles. Uh, what do you like to refer uh, to yourself You know, when you're going through problems or what have you heard in your community? But focusing not on the problem, once again, focusing on the solution. Let's promote what would we like to hear in the community when people talk about mental health? What are some strategies and little things that we can do with that? One thing is just even listening to podcasts like these. Uh, you can go to YouTube and just check out other stories because I feel like the more that people learn about the fact that recovery really is possible, the more people go like, okay, okay, cool. I, I just didn't know that. I didn't know that was possible. I've heard that from teachers, from uh, social workers, from case managers. So it really goes a long way to just raise your hand up high proudly and say, you know what? I'm a survivor. I've been able to overcome a lot of challenges. And I quickly want to recommend an excellent resource, a video that really resonated with me that is available on YouTube. And this is a TEDx talk. And I'm going to be shouting out a lot of these because I love these. And this one is called What They Don't Tell You About Mental Illness by Elizabeth Medina. Heartwarming uh, speech, heartwarming testimony, very impactful. It always motivates me when I hear other people be open because it's like, we're doing it. We're really making it happen. We're making a change in our communities and other people's lives. And that's what it's all about. So once again, what they don't tell you about mental illness by Elizabeth Medina over on YouTube. You can search it in any way possible there. And the next episode, it's going to be very personal here, even though most of them are learning to love myself. Take care of yourself before others. And for me, I feel like because I have very low self-esteem, this was something that was really not easy for me. So I'm going to be talking about that in the next episode of Happy to Fail. And if you want to get in touch with me, don't be afraid to hit me up with an email at juan at happytofail.com. We're also on Instagram, which is the one that you can check out some Instagram stories. Uh, I also do some retweets. All of the social media is simply put happy to fail. And if you enjoyed or you think this is uh, something worth listening to, something worth sharing, hit the subscribe button on the uh, YouTube uh, channel. You can feel free to leave a review on your podcast app of your preference because that definitely goes a long way into helping this be, uh, be made a more widely available to other people. So until next time, thank you for watching, listening, and making a big change in your life. And we'll be back talking about learning to love myself on Happy to Fail. So thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.